Welcome to the Rock Hill Dream Center Church, where we have a vision to see communities transformed by the gospel as we love, serve, share, and send. Thank you for joining us. Well, Dream Center Church, I am super excited this morning to introduce or reintroduce to many of you a good friend of ours here at the Dream Center who's become a personal close friend of mine and has always had the back of the Dream Center fanned our flame for years and years and years, and I believe will do so again in the future. Um, and that is Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace is a friend of ours from the YBA, which is the York Baptist Association, which you may tell us a little bit about this morning. Um, and he is the associational mission strategist over there. Um, used to be called the director of missions, but the state has revamped that title. I think the nation has in a lot of ways. Um, and it fits very well to Mike's strengths and the way that he loves and cares for the local church. So much so that whenever I asked him his dream, like I have every pastor that's come and blessed us on a Sunday, he shared that his dream would be that there would be a healthy network of local churches that advance the gospel with one another. And so give a warm Dream Center welcome to our friend Mike Wallace. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dream Center. Hope you're doing well today. It's a privilege to be back with you. Let me see if I can uh, get things going here without knocking over this podium. So I am your associational missionary. Um, you are one of 79 churches that make up the York Baptist Association. This is a, a collaboration, this is a network, a volunteer network of churches who choose to partner together to advance the kingdom, right? Churches helping churches, pastors helping pastors, doing together what we could or should not do alone. The work is too great, the need is too great, lostness is too vast, we got to do this together, amen? amen. And uh, I'm, I'm just so pleased to, you know, for the leadership that you have here because uh, you truly have kingdom-focused leaders here at your church. I mean, they want to see the kingdom of God advance. They want to see other churches healthy. They want to come alongside other churches and help them in any way they can. And that is an absolute true blessing. I wish I had 78 more churches just like the Dream Center. Turning your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 3. We're going to talk today about the new birth. What is the new birth? What does it mean? John chapter 3. This is a familiar passage of Scripture. Um, I remember years and years ago... Um, being in a conversation with a young man, and I asked him if he was a Christian. And he thought for a second, he said, well, I guess it's according to what you mean by that. And I said, are you a Christian? He said, are you talking about just a regular Christian Christian or one of those born-again Christians? <laughs> so that was, a, that was really a loaded answer, wasn't it, right? And I said, well, there's only one type of Christian, and that's a born-again Christian. He said, what? Yeah, the Bible says it plain and clear. If you're not born again, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. He said, you got to tell me more about that. Because he had been grown and he had been taught and he was accustomed, right? That this is a Christian nation and people live here are Christians and you try to be good and do good things and you go to church and honor God and, you know, that's what, it, that's what being a Christian is. But then there was this other sect of people that I've heard about and I've seen, these kind of wild guys, these radical guys, right, that call themselves born again. And he had developed this separation, this mentality. And I've come to realize through the years that that mentality and that separation is far, far greater than just that young man. 
That is an attitude and a, and a mentality that's present, not just in our culture, but in our churches, right? Christianity is not going through the motions. Christianity is not filling a seat in a church. Christianity is not serving uh, in a local church. It's not being busy for God, right? Christianity is being invaded by the Spirit of God <laughs> with a life transformed and living on mission. So we're going to look at that. Turn it in your Bible, see if you would. John chapter 3. I'm going to put my eyes on so I can see and read. I know none of you guys can relate to that, right? John chapter 3, let's start in verse 1. We'll go through verse 8. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs and miracles that you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you that unless, you, unless someone is born again, he, will not, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, how can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter back into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I tell you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it's come from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So this guy, Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee was, was a very conservative religious sect within Judaism that had the responsibility for breaking the word, I mean, you know, for taking the Torah, the, the word of God back then, and to explaining it to people and helping them live it. But so often the Pharisees become judgmental. Pharisee, well, of course they were pharisaical, that's where that word comes from, right? They were judgmental, uh, they were hypocritical, uh, they, they, they lived their life just trying to place burdens of unreasonable and un, un, unruly expectations on people for religion, right? So they literally, literally had the responsibility of knowing the scripture backwards and forwards, there was nobody more learned, nobody more educated, nobody more religious, nobody more pious than the Pharisees. So this Pharisee named Nicodemus is watching and he's seeing what's going on with this new rabbi named Jesus. This radical man, this man that's challenging the system, this man that's pushing back against the traditions and against the norms, this man that's even at times boldly calling out the Pharisees and the religious system of the day for being the hypocrites they are. And probably supposition on my part, along with a lot of the, most of the Pharisees at that time, you know, there's anger and there's pushback and there's who in the world do you think you are? But then with Nicodemus, he sees, he's watching the miracles. He's listening to the teaching, the authority that this new rabbi speaks with. The miracles that are being performed cannot be denied. Nobody but God does this. God's got to be with this man. 
So at night, probably in order not to be seen by the other Pharisees, he makes an appointment to meet with Jesus. And that's when he says, I know that you're a man that comes from God. Nobody can do these things that we've seen you do unless God be with him. So he's acknowledging there's something special about Jesus. He's acknowledging that there's a connection with the God the Father. Is there an understanding really at this point of who Jesus is? Absolutely not. So Nicodemus opens a conversation with respect. But what is the first words out of Jesus' mouth? Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you want to even see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. No pleasantries, no thank you. Hey, how's it going today? (laughs) Jesus got straight to the point, straight to the heart of the matter, because he knew why Nicodemus was really coming. He knew Nicodemus' greatest need. He knew that there was a hunger, that there was a search that there was a desire in his soul that he really even could not voice. And Jesus gets straight to the point. You must be born again. Now, ladies and gentlemen, these are the words of Jesus. This isn't my words. This isn't my, just my speculation. This isn't my interpretation of what the Scripture says. The direct, bold letters of red, Jesus Christ in the Scripture, you must be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Do you think it's critically important then with the words of Jesus to say that, that we really understand today what it means to be born again as a church? Is it really important for us to understand that and to know that and to make sure that we truly have been born again? I think it's absolutely critical. Now, these statements that were made about Nicodemus, it says he was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. This tells us masses of amounts about who this man is, right? First of all, he's a Pharisee. We've talked about that, right? He's a a religious leader with the responsibility of knowing Scripture, understanding it, being able to break it down, and telling other people how they are supposed to live. Responsible for upholding the law of God. All right? So he's a religious man. He's an educated man. He knows the Scripture, and he's involved in the work. But yet, what did Jesus say? You must be born again. But it also says he's a ruler of the Jews. Well, that phrase was used to describe people who was a part of the Sanhedrin court. Because remember, at this time, Israel and that whole region is under Roman law. They're under Roman rule. They have been, they are are an occupied people. So the Romans ultimately have control. But in that area, just like the Romans did in a lot of areas, they allow some local autonomy and allow the local groups to have some of their culture and representation. So the only rule that the, Jewish, the Jews had among themselves was this court called the Sanhedrin, right? And they were responsible for being able to administer certain elements of Jewish customs, religions, and traditions that they governed themselves. So he's a member of the Sanhedrin. In order to be a part of the Sanhedrin, first of all, you had to be extremely well-educated. You had to be from the right family. You were most likely wealthy. You, went to the, you had the best of education possible, right? And your leadership was recognized. So this, this dude, Nicodemus, he's, he's got it together. 
I mean, if there's anybody that the rest of the people in that world would have looked up to, would have respected, would have thought that he has an end with God, it would have been Nicodemus. And if Nicodemus is coming with any pride, if he's coming with any self-righteousness, if he's coming puffed up in any way, thinking that he's going to get some type of nod from Jesus because of who he is, how much he knows, and what he's done, but he was deflated fast. You must be born again. Nicodemus' question after that was pretty remarkable. What do you mean, born again? I don't understand. Do I, do I enter back into my mother's womb a second time and be born? Of course not. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit, right? That which is born of the water, the first birth, the natural birth, right? But that which is born of the spirit is spirit, I'm talking to you about a second birth, a new birth, a spiritual birth. Oh, if you have any hope of entering the kingdom of God, marvel not, don't be surprised that I say to you, you must be born again. So he gives it to him again, that second, second time, that same phrase, you must Say that word with me, must. must. We understand that word, don't we? That's one of the few words in the English language that really isn't much debate. You must. Right? That's authoritative. Right? That, that's, that's laying the, the, the foundation, the groundwork. I mean, you, you don't debate that. You must. So who is Jesus? Does he have the authority? Is he the person that can give those types of requirements, those restrictions, absolutely. You must be born again. All right, so Nicodemus is educated, as educated as they come, but yet Jesus just said, you must be born again. So first of all, we need to look at this, that the education is not the new birth, right? And even being educated about God is not the new birth. There's a whole lot of difference about knowing a lot about God and knowing God. Nicodemus knew it as well as anybody could know it. You must be born again. Second of all, Nicodemus was extremely religious, was raised that way, went to rabbinical school, literally learned the scripture forwards and backwards, was selected at some point to be a Pharisee. Very, 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 very few minority, minute number of people that would ever have that privilege to be given that right. And the study and the preparation and the years that was involved in doing that and prepping for that is unbelievable. He was a leader of leaders, the religious of the religious. So being religious, I think we can say then being religious in itself, knowing a lot about God in itself, going through religious works in itself, doing religious stuff in itself is not the new birth. Now here's what else we know. Because he was a Pharisee and he was a leader of the Jews, he had been baptized. Jesus didn't introduce baptism. Baptism was already a part of the religious culture. It was called the baptism of repentance. And even though Jesus gives baptism a whole new meaning when he chose to be baptized, 
Remember, John the Baptist is already baptizing people when Jesus comes on the scene and he requests to be baptized by Jesus. John, I can't baptize you, right? I'm not even worthy to unlatch your shoes. Baptize me. Because Jesus at this point is going to take it and give it a new meaning. But baptism was already present to show your, your demonstrate your, um, your seriousness, your devoutness, right? Nicodemus had been baptized. I heard a preacher say one time, you could be baptized till the bull, bullfrogs call you brother, but that don't make you born again, right? So baptism is not it. Good works is not it. Education's not it. Being a religious person's not it. Who was wealthy? You wouldn't have been on the Sanhedrin if you weren't wealthy. You wouldn't have been on the Sanhedrin if you didn't come from the right side of the tracks and born to the right family. I'm sure he was generous and he gave. There's speculation here. But your money does not equal new birth. You can write the biggest checks. You can give the most money. You can stand with the most pride. You can finance all of the projects of the church. But that don't make you born again. Why do we need to be born again? What we learn in this picture, who Nicodemus is, but yet he needed to be born again. So if you're holding on to any of those things, if you are, if you are resting your faith on any of these pedestals, of good works, being a good person, doing good stuff, being baptized, being a part of the religious system. If, you're, if you are resting your hope on any of those pedestals, let's just knock those pedestals out of the way today. Because through that simple little conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus lets us know that those things are not the new birth. These things do not make you saved. These things will not take you to heaven. Now, I'm not saying these things are wrong. Don't get me wrong. Right? When we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we commit our life to him. We will be a people of good works. We will do good things. Right? We will go to church. We will worship. We will serve. We will give. But we don't do these things in order to be saved. We do these things because we are saved. Big difference between the two. You must be born again. All right? So these are things that the new birth is not. So we ask ourselves the question, well, why do we need to be born again? First of all and foremost, we've got to be born again because Jesus commanded it, right? He just says it. You must be born again. So if for no other reason, with no other understanding, we seek the new birth because Jesus said you must be born again. But second of all, we need to know that the Scripture tells us plain and clear in Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, that we are sinners, Every one of us, right? The Bible says, there is none good, no, not one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us are sinners. Isaiah 59.1 says that our sin separates us from a holy God, right? So we're on the other side looking across, desperately wanting God, desperately seeking God, but there's a, a chasm between us that can't be breached. Our sin is too great. Our sin separates us from God. So we're sinners. We're fallen. We're in desperate need of a Savior. That's who we are in our nature. Paul, talking about himself in Romans 7, says, In me there is no good thing. <laughs> there is not, nothing good in me that is within my flesh. And this is the Apostle Paul talking. The guys that we lift up on the pedestal that's written all the scriptures that we look to as such an example of the Christian faith in mission and in ministry. 
There's nothing good in me. The Bible says that our good works are like filthy rags before a holy God. The best that we can present to God is filthy, soiled, dirty, stinking rags. Ladies and gentlemen, all of this is saying we have no hope within ourselves. We cannot muster it. We cannot believe enough. We cannot work enough. We cannot give enough. We cannot serve enough. We cannot know enough in order to be born again. We have no hope, no hope within ourselves in order to be born again. So there's a desperate need within us, a desperate need. So let's look for a second at what the new birth is. All right, so we know what it's not by looking at the life of Nicodemus. We know it's not education. We know it's not being a good person or doing good works. It's not, um, it's not money. It's not religious systems. It's not baptism or any of these things. The new birth is being born from above by the Spirit of God. That's literally the definition, to be born from above by the Spirit of God. That the Spirit of a holy, righteous, loving, merciful, missional God invades your life and brings you to life. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, creation is in the process. And God says, let us, all right, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our own image. So how are we in the image of God? I'm looking across the room, and buddy, I mean, beautiful people, but everybody looks different. So does God have a, a shaved head? Does God have a gray head? Right? Is God blonde? Oh, no, maybe he's brunette. How are we, is, is God kind of chubby like me? Okay. Is God fat like me? <laughs> is God skinny? How are we in the image of God? Well, I think there's a lot of ways we're, we were created eternal, right? There's a lot of ways that we're in the image of God, but one of the most critical ways that we're in the image of God is this, that God's a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. And he created us a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. Now that body, I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? That's the flesh part of us that walks and talks and eats and sleeps, right? We, that's, the, that's the physical part that people see. Now, the soul, according to Scripture, is the seat of the emotions. It's your personality. It's who you are on the inside. It's who people think of, the image that comes to their mind when they think of you, right? Your likes and your dislikes and your laugh, your humor, your personality. But the spirit, according to Scripture, is that sendermost inner part of you that was created for the purpose of having fellowship with God. Listen to that. That centermost inner part of you created for the purpose of having fellowship with God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Well, why does the spirit need to be reborn? Because according to scripture, our spirit is dead. When we're outside of Jesus, our spirit is dead. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Created to be alive. Three-part being, two-part alive, live body, a live soul, but a dead spirit. 
Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians. Ephesians 2. I'm going to read a, a little bit of a lengthy passage here because I, I really couldn't find a place that I would need to start and where I would need to stop because it all says that it says it so well. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Now, this is Paul talking to the church, talking to people who have been redeemed, people who have been born again. He's reminding them, right, of where they come from. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath as others are also. In our nature, we're children of wrath. In our nature, we're sinners. In our nature, we're separated from God. In our nature, we seek the flesh. We want what we want. We want it how we want it. We want it why we want it. In our nature, we want to dictate our own lives. And Paul is saying, guys, you used to be that. Don't forget, when you're dealing with these people around you, and you want to get smug, and you want to get sanctimonious, and you want to get self-righteous, you used to be that way. Separated from God, dead in your trespasses and sins. That's the condition of every one of us before being transformed by Jesus. But look in verse 4. One of these days, I joke with my wife that I'm going to preach a sermon called The Beautiful Butts of the Bible. This is one of the beautiful butts of the Bible right here in the beginning of verse 4. But God... This is the way it used to be. This is who you used to be. This is the lack of hope that you had. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he has for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. He who also raised up him with him has seated us up in the heavens with, in Christ Jesus. We're dead in trespasses and sin, a live body and a live soul, but a dead spirit, that centermost inner part of us, created to have fellowship with God, is dead. And that leaves us longing, that leaves us searching, that leaves us listless, that, lean, that leaves us uh, empty, that leaves us without purpose, it leaves us without hope. And you know that, you've been there yourself, maybe some of you are just like this today, you, you're going through the motions, you're trying the religious stuff, you're turning over a new leaf, you've made a, a commitment, you want to be a better person, and you're working hard and you're trying, but it ain't working. Because you're fighting against your nature, your nature hasn't changed. You're trying to muster something good out of a dead spirit. And the Bible, it's like Paul said, there is nothing good in me, nothing good in my flesh. That's the same for all of us. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't work for it. We, don't, we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We're not good enough. Never have been. Never will be. We are hopeless. Hopeless. Without the new birth. 
So at some point in our life, the Bible, where the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, when we come to this recognition, we come to this understanding that we have no hope outside of Jesus Christ. And just like in Ephesians 2, but God in his mercy, rich in his grace, demonstrates his love for us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? When we come to that understanding that Jesus Christ paid the price to pay for our sins, a price that we cannot pay, a, a, a penalty that we owe but we could never ever pay. In his rich, in his grace, and his mercy, he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Oh, come on, guys, that, that's a weak amen. I mean, please, come on. Look at what he did for you. He didn't pay that price with gold or silver or precious stones. He paid it with his own blood. Because the Bible says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Right? There is no forgiveness of sin. That's what the whole sacrifice thing was through the ages, throughout uh, the, the history of the, the, of the Judaism. Until at one time, at the appointed time in history, the perfect Lamb of God without blemish, sent by God to be the sacrifice himself to take upon his shoulders the sins of the world. So when he was nailed to the cross, my sins were nailed to the cross. Your sins were nailed to the cross. Your forgiveness is found in that blood. You will not find it in religious works. You will not find it in being a good person or doing good things or giving a certain amount of money. You cannot come to this place enough times to earn the grace of God. I mean, the word grace by itself, the very definition, God's unmerited favor, God giving to us what we don't deserve, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, gift of God, gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans 6.23, for the, for the wages of sin is death, but, another one of those, but the gift of God is eternal life. So if I wanted, if I wanted to gift you with this Bible, brother, and I asked you to come up here, I, I, this is a brand new Bible, it's a nice Bible, it's, it's expensive, it's leather bound, I want to gift it to you, but hey, can you do me a favor? Got a really, really dirty car outside. Can you wash it up and clean it up for me, and then I'll give you the gift? Is it still a gift? No, it ceases to become a gift because you've earned it. You work for it. Stop trying to earn what God wants to freely give you. Stop trying to earn what you cannot pay for. Stop trying to deserve what you're undeserving of. Or by grace, or you say through faith. Live body and a live soul and a dead spirit. Empty deep inside. Longing, searching, trying your best to fill it. Drugs, alcohol, relationships, the next promotion, a bigger house, another job, a boat in the driveway. Right? What, what is it? Different things for different people. Our searches all look different. But the search is for the same thing. The search is for meaning. The search is for hope. The search is for purpose. And it's only found in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. For that moment when we recognize that we hope and have no hope, 
that Jesus Christ did this for us out of his great love and mercy for us. And we call out, Lord, save me. I give my life to you. I confess my sin. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. When that moment when we recognize that and we call out to God, the Bible says, Romans 8, listen to this, that the Spirit of God quickens our spirit and makes us alive. And that word quicken is an interesting word. The Greek uses word pictures, Aramaic as well, right? And the picture that's used there for that word quicken is like if you took a bunch of gunpowder, you know, open up a firecracker, right? Take a bullet out, take the, the gunpowder out and just put it on a little plate, right? What happens when you strike a match and you touch that flame to that gunpowder? Instantaneously, right? It's transformed, it's quickened, it's, 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 it's consumed. The Spirit of God quickens your spirit. That spirit which was dead is now alive, and the Spirit of God lives in you. God lives in you. Jesus lives in you. The power, the anointing, the purpose, the hope that comes in that, not, not, not free from the, the presence of sin, not free from the conviction, I mean, from the um, temptation of sin, not free from the pains or the troubles of the world. But now you will experience these things with a live body and a live soul and a live spirit created to be three part, now all three part live, whole, born again. You get it? To make sense? What are you searching for today? Maybe you hear, man, you've been invited to church. People have talked to you about this kind of stuff. You can, it's all been flowing around in your head. You're trying hard. You're turning over a new leaf. But you keep falling and falling and falling. Today's the day you need to surrender. Today's the day you need to say, Jesus, I'm yours. I, I, I can't play the game anymore. I can't muster it anymore. I can't do it in my own strength. I recognize that. I have no hope but you. I desperately fall on my face to you. Perhaps many of you are like I have been, has been in my, in my life. You've made that commitment to Christ with the understanding that you had at that point. But in some need for assurance, you're still trying to please God. You're trying to work to earn what he's already given you. Right? And you're busy in yourself and you're troubling your spirit as a Christian trying to earn the favor that God has already so freely given you and you just need to rest in it. I don't, know what you, I don't know what your circumstances are today, but I know that God knows. Some of you here today need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Some of you here today need to learn to rest in what he's already given you. Some of you today, life is not what it needs to be because you have allowed sin in your life and it's, and it's building a wedge between you and others and it's keeping you from being who God wants you to be and you need to confess sin to God today. Maybe you need to confess to somebody else in this room. Maybe you need to make something right with somebody else in this room so that God can use you like he used to and like he wants to now. Make these, make these front chairs an altar of prayer. Make this, this stage an altar of prayer. If God's speaking to your heart today, won't you come? If, if, if one of our musicians could just play something for us on the keyboard, just louder. Do y'all have a regular full song plan? Okay, band, if y'all come up, lead us. Let's stand to our feet. While they're coming, I want to pray for us.
Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for the new birth that you provide for us so rich and free through your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you that we have that opportunity, Father, to be right with you, to be alive and whole in you. Father, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people today. Minister to your people. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Father, just do whatever you need to do in our life. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Garrett to come up front. You know Garrett, you don't know me. If God speaks to you about something, you need to come. Won't you come today?